Gresham College presents The Founder of the Feast, Dickens and Christmas by Professor Michael Slater, MBE. A favourite anecdote, um, much beloved by Dickensians, uh, is the one uh, about the little girl in Covent Garden uh, who, in 1870, hearing uh, that Dickens had died, uh, said, Oh, Dickens dead, then will Father Christmas die too? And this identification of, of Dickens uh, with Christmas, which is now so deeply inscribed in popular culture, Anglo-American popular culture, um, leads, I think, to the oft-repeated notion uh, that he more or less invented Christmas uh, as we now practice it, which is the question that I posed uh, in, in my title. Um, this uh, is erroneous, I think, uh, except in one uh, very important respect, uh, which I'll try to clarify. The traditional old Christmas celebrations um, were suppressed uh, by the Puritans during the Commonwealth period, um, but they were gradually revived, especially in rural, rural areas, uh, during the 18th century or the early 19th century. It had a lot to do, I think, with Tory nostalgia for the good old days. Um, and also uh, with the taste developing in the early 19th century uh, for the picturesque, um, for colourful traditions and ceremonies and so on. Um, but the thing that really got it going, I think, was Sir Walter Scott's poem, Marmion, uh, which was published in 1812. Uh, and this uh, features a, a, a long description uh, of Christmas uh, in the Baron's Hall in olden times, um, describing, you know, various uh, games, festivities, uh, the consumption of the boar's head, uh, the yule logs, the carols, etc., etc. Um, Scott was, of course, enormously popular, uh, so he was very, very widely read. Uh, and this description of Christmas in the Baron's Hall seized the public imagination. And um, at one product of it was um, a painting, a famous painting by Daniel MacLeese, uh, Dickens's very close friend, uh, which uh, was shown to the public in 1842. Um, and was a, it's a kind of wide-angle lens painting uh, of Merry Christmas in the Baron's Hall. And uh, it was highly popular, much reproduced, uh, and the great thing about it was that it showed all classes of society, servants and masters, um, feasting together, uh, playing Christmas games, and so on. But what really got Christmas going uh, for the English uh, was an American, uh, Washington Irving, uh, who uh, of Sleepy Hollow fame, uh, Washington Irving, uh, who was well established as an American writer, came to live in England in 1815 and stayed for five years, um, during which time he actually visited Scott and so on. He published uh, in 1819 uh, a volume called The Sketchbook of Geoffrey Crayon Gent, uh, which uh, included uh, a description of Christmas festivities at an imagined country house in England called Bracebridge Hall. 
where the squire of Bracebridge Hall uh, was uh, very, very um, keen, to say the least, uh, on uh, old Christmas customs um, and the revival of them. Um, and his description uh, of Christmas at Bracebridge Hall um, and was certainly known very well to Dickens um, and greatly influenced Dickens. In fact, uh, the, the Christmas scenes in Pickwick Papers are a, a straight imitation of it. Um, <clears throat> the, um, the essential thing about Christmas at Bracebridge Hall is, is the sort of family, uh, all the family gathering, all the generations of the family, far-flung cousins and so forth, um, all together uh, with the servants. Bracebridge Hall is, is a, a country house, you see. Um, and um, uh, for uh, a Christmas dinner, um, which uh, is all very traditional, uh, with the boar's head, there's plenty of minced pies, plenty of mistletoe around, um, and the games that are played, especially uh, the game of blind man's buff, which became a sort of traditional uh, Victorian Christmas celebration. In fact, it's interesting that Dickens, uh, in his uh, uh, in the Christmas Carol, actually pinches uh, a whole scene from Washington Irving's Bracebridge Hall. Um, this is describing the game of blind man's buff uh, when uh, a particularly amorous young gentleman um, is pursuing uh, a young lady, though he's blindfolded. He seems to know where she is all the time, and he's always sort of pursuing her around. And you've got this episode in the Christmas Carol, and it comes directly uh, from Washington Irving. Um, the, the, it, it's um, very comic in some ways. The, the, uh, not quite sure how comic uh, Washington Irving intended it to be that Squire Bracebridge is, is very anxious that he should get all the rituals right and he's always sort of going off and consulting a book uh, as to you know, exactly how what you do about the boar's head, exactly how you play Blind Man's Buff and so on. Um, because he's, he's very anxious that everything should be done according tra to tradition uh, as he laments that British peasants uh, have broken asunder from the higher classes and seem to think their interests are separate. They begin to read newspapers. <laughs> um, and he's trying to sort of counteract this rising tide of democracy. Um, well, there's no doubt that Dickens' own family, um, headed by the convivial John Dickens, his, his father, uh, would, uh, despite all their economic difficulties from time to time, uh, have kept uh, a, very, um, a very merry Christmas. Dickens' first uh, actual discussion or, or, or presentation of Christmas um, in print uh, appears in, um, in uh, a magazine called Bell's Life in London, um, and this was on the 27th of December 1835. Um, when he describes um, a middle-class family in London celebrating Christmas um, at a, a, the a, a abode of a favourite uncle and aunt. Um, the boar's head has now become a turkey, uh, but uh, there's still, of course, the glorious game, as he puts it, of blind man's buff is played. Um, the essay begins... Uh, in anticipation, I suppose, of Scrooge, uh, that man must be a misanthrope indeed in whose breast something like jovial feeling is not roused. 
in whose mind some pleasant associations are not awakened by the recurrence of Christmas. Um, and there is a mention uh, of uh, death too. One little seat may be empty, sort of kind of looking forward to Tiny Tim. Um, but rather bluffly, then Dickens goes on to say, dwell not upon the past, um, reflect upon your present blessings. Um, and so uh, this, um, this first presentation of Christmas by Dickens is very, very uh, uh, bourgeois um, celebration, uh, which is, as it were, Bracebridge Hall uh, adapted to a middle-class London family. Um, and um, this uh, is, the, uh, is the first time that Dickens writes about Christmas um, and it's an entirely uh, traditional way, well-established way. And then we come to the, what he calls the good-humoured Christmas chapter of Pickwick Papers. Pickwick Papers, as you know, was, was published as a, a monthly serial um, and halfway through the 10th part of the 20 numbers uh, was published on the 27th of December 1835. Uh, and this describes the Christmas festivities uh, at Manor Farm in the country, Mr. Wardle's um, uh, um, country house. Um, and Dickens is very much copying uh, Bracebridge Hall, uh, even the stagecoach ride down to Dingley Dell um, is, uh, is, is from Bracebridge Hall, uh, though Dickens does contribute um, the famous scene of Mr. Pickwick sliding on the ice. Um, and the even funnier spectacle of Mr Winkle sliding on the ice um, and falling about all over the place. Sam Weller, if you remember, has to, has to keep him up. He, he says, uh, the, these, these skates are very awkward, and, and, and Sam Weller says, well, there's an awkward gentleman in them, uh, which is, is the problem. Um, and then there's that wonderful scene where all the ladies are urging Mr Pickwick to, to slide, and he says, my goodness, I haven't done such a thing since I was a boy, and this whole idea of reverting to childhood games and so on uh, is, is very essential to the Washington Irving stroke Dickens Christmas um, and uh, Mr Pickwick does solemnly slide a few yards down the ice and that's often chosen for Christmas cards these days and so on I see that and the stagecoach of course um, but interestingly, um, I mean, there's all the, the Washington Irving uh, feasting and dancing and flirtation and so on, um, and with this large uh, extended family and all the servants and so on. Um, but the poor relations here um, are rather figures of fun. Uh, they they just try to oblige everybody. Um, in Blind Man's Buff, for instance, they caught the people who they thought would like it. And when the game flagged, they got caught themselves. Uh, they're sort of rather comic supernumeraries, uh, which is very different, uh, obviously, from the presentation of the poor uh, in the Christmas books, the Christmas Carol especially. But what is very, very interesting uh, is, uh, from the point of view of the immortal Christmas Carol, uh, is uh, the story uh, of, um, that is told by, by the parson, um, because, of course, telling stories around the Christmas fire uh, was, again, something uh, that derives from uh, Washington Irving, preferably ghost stories, uh, and... Um, Dickens uh, has the clergyman, the old clergyman I think it is, in Pickwick Papers, uh, telling the tale of Gabriel Grubb, 
or the goblins who stole the sexton. Uh, Gabriel Grubb uh, was a, a miserable old misanthrope who, um, he was a grave digger and he very much liked his trade. Uh, he particularly enjoyed it on uh, practicing it on Christmas Eve um, and he didn't sort of speak to anybody. He, uh, he, he um, chased, uh, chased boys away. He, uh, his great consolation was his bottle of gin. Um, and um, he liked nothing better than digging a grave uh, on Christmas Eve uh, in a solitary churchyard, uh, accompanied only by his bottle of gin. Um, and uh, he kind of hates everybody. Uh, but then he is visited by these goblins uh, who show him a series of visions um, and uh, which they... Um, kind of looking forward uh, to, um, to the Christmas carol um, in that... Um, that's the wrong book, sorry. They're showing him visions of um, the forerunners, really, of the Cratchits. As the goblin said this, a thick cloud which had obscured the further end of the cavern rolled gradually away and disclosed, apparently at a great distance, a small and scantily furnished but neat and clean apartment. A crowd of little children were gathered round a bright fire, clinging to their mother's gown and gambling round her chair. The mother occasionally rose and drew aside the window curtain as if to look for some expected object. A frugal meal was ready spread upon the table and an elbow chair placed near the fire. A knock was heard at the door. The mother opened it and the children crowded round her and clapped their hands for joy as their father entered. He was wet and weary and shook the snow from his garments as the children crowded round him and seized his cloak, hat, stick and gloves with busy zeal and ran with them from the room. He sat down to his meal before the fire. The children climbed about his knee and the mother sat by his side and all seemed happiness and comfort. But a change came upon the view almost imperceptibly. The scene was altered to a small bedroom where the fairest and youngest child lay dying. The roses had fled from his cheek and the light from his eye. And even as the sexton, Gabriel Grubb, looked upon him with an interest he'd never felt or known before... He, sorry, um, he died. His young brothers and sisters crowded round his little bed and seized his tiny hand so cold and heavy, but they shrunk back from its touch and looked with awe on his infant face, for calm and tranquil as it was, and sleeping in rest and peace as the beautiful child seemed to be, they saw that he was dead, and they knew that he was an angel looking down upon and blessing them from a bright and happy heaven. Um, and this, uh, in the inset tale in, in Pickwick Papers, is clearly looking forward to Tiny Tim uh, in, uh, in The Christmas Carol. Tiny Tim, of course, who does not die. Um, and Gabriel Grubb is, is made to um, see a whole series of visions. The goblins are kicking him hard all the time. They're showing him these things uh, of... Um, uh, Poor people suffering great hardship uh, and yet uh, united um, by family love and celebrating uh, Christmas uh, as, as best they can. Um, and, um, but then Dickens doesn't sort of really do anything uh, with that. Um, 
he, uh, I mean, we, we don't know really what effect it had on Gabriel Grubb because he simply disappears um, and isn't seen again. Um, so whether this has had a good effect on him or not, uh, we, we don't know. But you can see how um, it, it later gave Dickens uh, an idea uh, for uh, the great classic, the, the Christmas Carol. Um, except that here, actually, in, in this um, forerunner of the Carol, Tiny Tim really does die. Um, then uh, you have... Uh, an episode in 1840, April 1840, uh, in the magazine he was running called Master Humphrey's Clock, uh, in which the, the hero, uh, or the main character, Master Humphrey, who's an elderly, uh, rather reclusive cripple, um, on Christmas Day, um, he goes to a, a rather deserted uh, tavern uh, where he finds um, a solitary man, uh, who is um, in this rather um, bleak situation uh, with, with nobody else there, a bough of mistletoe sickening in the gas and parched sprigs of holly. Um, and this man is kind of brooding over uh, past, uh, they're not specified, but obviously um, some disappointments in his children or disappointment in love earlier in life or something, but he's, he's brooding on the past um, and, and on past wrongs and sorrows. Uh, very much looking forward to Dickens's uh, last Christmas book, The Haunted Man. Um, Master Humphrey um, sort of befriends him, uh, offers sympathy and companionship, uh, and um, transforms this uh, very bleak Christmas uh, that the man was having uh, into uh, one of, of, of friendship and sodality. Um, and, um, yeah, I, it was really in Gabriel Grubb, I think, that you begin uh, to... Um, to see what it, the huge difference that Dickens did make, I mean, with, with The Christmas Carol. Um, when, um, and, and the Christmas books in general, Robert Louis Stevenson uh, is responding to that, I think, when he wrote um, to, uh, uh, to a friend, I wonder if you've ever read Dickens's Christmas books. They are too much, perhaps. I've only read two yet, but I've cried my eyes out and had a terrible fight not to sob. But, oh, dear God, they're good, and I feel so good after them. I shall do good and lose no time. I want to go out and comfort someone. I shall give money. Oh, what a jolly thing it is for a man to have written books like these and just filled people's hearts with pity. Um, that uh, interesting reaction, of course, is, is what a lot of people have uh, and had uh, to the carol. And you get, as I say, the first glimpse of that um, uh, in, in the tale of Gabriel Grubb. Um, <clears throat> but so far, Dickens hadn't, uh, hadn't sort of made much connection. I mean, Gabriel Grubb has shown the, uh, the poor uh, being um, very brave and uh, um, loving towards each other, um, coping with, with poverty and even with death. Um, but he hadn't really sort of connected this with uh, the contemporary uh, political world, the contemporary social world. But by 1843, 
he had become increasingly disturbed and one could say even horrified uh, by uh, the state of the poor. This was, after all, uh, the hungry 40s. And uh, he spoke in a speech at the Manchester Athenaeum in October 1843 about thousands of immortal creatures condemned without alternative or choice to tread not what our great poet calls the primrose path to the everlasting bonfire, but one of jagged flints and stones laid down by brutal ignorance. He had uh, visited a ragged school, one of those uh, uh, schools that uh, uh, had been set up um, in London and other great cities to try and give some basic education uh, to the the children uh, on on the streets. Um, He'd read uh, and been horrified by, like many other middle-class writers, um, middle-class generally, but I'm thinking of Elizabeth Barrett and her famous poem called The Cry of the Children. Uh, He'd read these parliamentary reports of the Children's Employment Commission, uh, one on mines and manufacturers, um, and, um, uh, uh, and, um, yeah, it's the mines and manufacturers one that particularly got him. And he was horrified by the revelations of the appalling conditions in which very, very small children uh, were uh, made to work uh, in uh, in these industries. He thought, he said, of of writing a pamphlet called uh, An Appeal on Behalf of the Poor Man's Child. But then he suddenly has an inspiration, maybe remembering the story of Gabriel Grubb. Uh, He thinks, no, he's not going to write a pamphlet. Uh, He will write something that will have 10,000 times the force, he says, of any pamphlet. Um, this story uh, that he has uh, he has conceived suddenly, um, very suddenly as it seems, he's in the middle of writing a long novel, Martin Chuzzlewit, um, but uh, he, um, well, I probably can't find the quotation, but anyway, it's, uh, he describes um, uh, composing the Christmas Carol, I mean he must be sort of vaguely remembering Gabriel Grubb, I suppose. Um, And he talks about um, walking about the blackened streets of London all night, um, uh, creating, thinking of the carol, getting tremendously uh, excited about it. Um, And um, how irritating. It's a wonderful quotation I've got here somewhere. (laughs) But uh, I think I've forgotten to mark it. Because Dickens' words are much better than mine. But anyway, he was in this tremendous state of excitement, (laughs) which he describes wonderfully. Um, uh, Walking about what he calls the blackened streets of London, sort of weeping and laughing and so on, and and, and conceiving of making up uh, the carol, um, which um, (coughs) was then... um, it was then published uh, just after Christmas. Um, at uh, It was a beautiful little book, um, but very expensively produced. Four hand-coloured plates by John Leach, um, special uh, beautiful binding and so forth, um, and published at a price of five shillings, which, of course, was enormously expensive. Um, well, I mean, it sold like hotcakes, but it sold, of course, to the middle and, and upper middle classes. Um, it couldn't really be... Uh, was beyond the pocket of, of uh, uh, most um, working class people, but it had uh, an, an enormous uh, effect. Um, 
it was um, Thackeray, for instance, described it um, as a national benefit and a personal kindness to every man and woman who reads it. Uh, the judge, Lord Jeffrey, who was a great admirer, a great friend of Dickens, uh, said that this little book had done more good uh, than all the sermons preached from all the pulpits uh, in England over Christmas. Um, and, uh, of course, the... the um, I mean, so there were some objections. The Westminster Review, uh, which went in for political economy, uh, was rather critical and said, who went without uh, turkey and punch in order that Bob Cratchit might get them uh, is kept out of sight by Dickens. Because unless there were enough turkeys and punch to go round, somebody was going without. And Dickens got his revenge on that in Mr Filer, the political economist, in the next Christmas book, The Chimes. But that's, I, that's really uh, another story. Um, it was uh, and has remained uh, probably the most popular uh, of all Dickens' writings. Um, and this uh, has to do, uh, I suppose, primarily with, with the figure of Scrooge, this uh, uh, amazing uh, character with his name uh, compounded of gouge and screw, uh, who has this wonderful vitality of malice, as it were, so much so that, that Chesterton said he was sure it was an all, all an act. G.K. Chesterton, one of the great Dickens critics, and said that he was sure that Scrooge had been secretly giving away turkeys all his life. <laughs> um, and uh, one can sort of see uh, why, why he thought that. I mean, the very name, of course, is, is, is wonderful, the combination of screw and gouge. Um, and um, the, uh, the contrast between Scrooge, um, the, the solitary, uh, really mean figure, and, and the Cratchit family, um, this warm, loving, um, uh, mutually devoted family, uh, is at the heart uh, of the Christmas Carol. Um, and Dickens uses the, uh, it's a ghost story for Christmas, so he uses the, uh, uh, the device of the three ghosts, the three spirits of Christmas past, Christmas present and Christmas yet to come. Um, and Scrooge is taken back into his past uh, and made to remember uh, sorrows that he had um, had to endure uh, as a neglected child uh, left at school when everybody else has gone home for the holidays um, uh, when he's, he's made to see uh, in the past himself getting harder and harder breaking off uh, his or having the relationship with the woman he was going to marry broken off because she says he's getting too fond of, of money um, and he's uh, made to uh, feel pity uh, for his former self. Um, Scrooge sat down upon a bench in the schoolroom and wept to see his former self as he had used to be. Um, what he sealed off completely, his past, he doesn't ever think about it. Um, he's made to revisit it. Um, and then in the, the next spirit, the spirit of Christmas present, shows him uh, the, the Cratchit family and... Um, uh, and, and how loving they are and how um, much care they take of poor crippled tiny Tim um, and uh, what, what a very hard struggle they have um, to um, 
to, to, to get a living, let alone uh, make a Christmas dinner. Uh, and yet, for all that, Mrs. Cratchit does make a, a triumphant uh, Christmas dinner. Um, and Scrooge is particularly interested his, uh, by, by uh, the plight of, of, of Tiny Tim, um, and asks the ghost of Christmas present if, if the child will live, and, he, and, and, um, and the ghost of Christmas present tells him that it's, it's very unlikely, um, given the family's very poor circumstances. Um, and, Dick, um, and, and Scrooge is shown other, uh, other, other um, pathetic scenes and so on. So he begins to be moved by another emotion very foreign, foreign to him, by pity. Um, and so first nostalgia, then pity, and then finally the ghost of Christmas yet to come, this terrifying ghost uh, that doesn't speak, um, that is hood, in this black hooded ghost that, that shows him basically his death, um, his horrible solitary death, um, with the attendants robbing the, the, the bed curtains and the very shirt that he's, uh, he's going to be buried in. Um, and... Um, He's uh, made to go to the uh, the rank churchyard where his uh, uh, his his tombstone is, um, and uh, made, in other words, thoroughly afraid. I mean, psychologically, it's sort of very convincing. This conversion by by pity, uh, by by uh, nostalgia, pity, uh, and fear, um, and the. Um, the amazing sort of relationship that Dickens sets up in the carol uh, between you, the reader, and himself. I mean, he, when he says at one point, I'm as close to you as if I was standing at your elbow. Um, and you do have that sense of Dickens talking directly to you. Um, it is, uh, it, it is uh, of course, um, a, a, a masterpiece. Um, People sometimes don't notice the, 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 the carol itself. I mean, it's quite interesting. Uh, it is called A Christmas Carol, and there is a carol uh, referred to in it. I mean, when the, um, the child tries to sing um, a Christmas carol through Scrooge's keyhole um, of the office, and Scrooge seizes the office ruler and chases him away. Um, and and what, the, uh, what the child sings um, is, God bless you, merry gentleman. Man, may nothing you dismay. Uh, where Dickens is adapting the words of God rest ye merry gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Um, God rest ye merry, in other words, just have a good time and so forth. Um, but he changes it to God bless you, and Scrooge refuses the blessing um, and is consequently dismayed. Um, and this carol is at the very heart of the story. Um, it did have um, a, a very profound effect on, on Dickens himself and an enormous, huge success with the public, uh, which wasn't, unfortunately, um, it wasn't reflected in the royalties that he got from it, but that was because of the tremendous expense of producing such a, a beautiful little book. But, um, but here, I think, is where um, Dickens... Uh, breaks right away from Washington Irving and that tradition of that uh, of, of reviving good old customs, all classes mingling together in festive sports and pastimes and so on, and brings in and this is where I think you can say uh, that he invented Christmas, um, not in in the um, uh, in, in the feasts and merriments and so forth and present giving and, and feasting and all that, uh, which had been, as I've, I've tried to show, uh, which had been uh, much um, written about um, 
before him. Uh, but the connection uh, of Christmas uh, with giving, uh, with being concerned uh, for the poor, as I said, the poor in, in Pickwick Papers, the poor relations are really just a joke. Um, and uh, Squire Bracebridge is not really concerned about the poor outside his gates and so on. Uh, whereas the urgent message of the Christmas Carol, the one that Robert Louis Stevenson is, re- is responding to, uh, is that the, the need for, um, um, for, for charity, for uh, concern uh, for the poor um, and for giving. Uh, and I think that that, Dickens did, this locking together of the idea of Christmas as being a time, uh, above all, uh, when one should open one's pocket and be charitable uh, to people uh, less uh, well-off than oneself. Um, that, I think, is Dickens's uh, big contribution uh, to uh, Christmas uh, as we celebrate it now. Um, he uh, wrote... Four more Christmas books. I mean, so uh, huge was the uh, success of the Carol uh, that, of course, his publishers and indeed the the public, uh, or more or less, demanded a successor. Um, And uh, he wrote uh, four more um, Christmas books, um, but they're apart from the last one. They're they're very different uh, from from the Carol. They all have to do uh, with memory. Uh, but very little to do uh, actually with Christmas. Uh, the second one, The Chimes, is a, is a ferocious polemic, really. Um, um, the story of some bells that rang a New Year in, uh, which does actually present the reader uh, with uh, the, the real desperation of the poor, uh, the, the exploitation um, of, uh, of um, sweated labour, uh, prostitution, uh, rick burning, the, the agricultural labourers driven to desperation and burning the farmers' ricks and so on. Um, it uh, 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 was quite a shock after coming after the carol. A year later was not kind of thing people were expecting. Uh, by far the most radical thing that Dickens wrote. Um, and, uh, but really nothing, uh, nothing much to do with Christmas. Um, and it produced such a storm of controversy uh, because, as I say, it was extremely radical um, that um, he kind of retreated with the next Christmas book, the Christmas, uh, the Cricket on the Hearth, uh, which is, uh, as he calls it, a fairy tale of home, uh, which isn't very much connected with Christmas, certainly doesn't feature the poor at all. Um, but the last uh, the Christmas book, The Haunted Man or The Ghost's Bargain, does, uh, does return uh, to the idea uh, of, um, of uh, memory and um, the part it can play uh, in the moral life. Um, the Haunted Man uh, is actually um, one of only two professors, I think, who, who feature in Dickens's whole oeuvre. The other one is the late Professor Dingo of European reputation, uh, who's the geologist and was the second husband of, of Mrs. Bayham Badger in Bleak House. But that's an aside. Um, this, uh, uh, this professor, who's taken much more seriously, is a professor of, of chemistry, as far as one can make out. But above all, he is a man haunted by a sense of, of wrong and sorrow, as Dickens himself was haunted by. He was just coming up to uh, writing uh, David Copperfield. This is in 1849, uh, when he does um, 
begin to examine his own past and his sense of uh, his, his resentment and betrayal and the suffering uh, of his, his boyhood, the blacking factory, etc., etc. Um, and so the haunted man um, is, in some sense, Dickens himself, uh, who is continually brooding uh, on uh, wrongs uh, that have been done to him, uh, friends who have betrayed him. Well, this isn't Dickens himself actually there, but um, uh, but basically uh, Redlaw, uh, the the um, main character of the story, um, remembers uh, broods over um, wrongs and sorrows, and then this phantom appears, phantom of himself appears, and offers to uh, expunge um, all memory of wrong and sorrow uh, so that he can't remember this anymore. Um, and um, the consequence, the unforeseen consequence of that for him uh, is that he, he doesn't any longer uh, have any sort of sense or fellow feeling uh, with other human beings uh, when he's confronted with the savage child of the streets um, he feels nothing uh, but repulsion, uh, no, no sorrow or, or pity uh, for, for the child, um, in the way that Scrooge, confronted with the uh, wolfish children, ignorance and want, the more or less allegorical children in the Christmas Carol, uh, is, is horrified and asks, have they no refuge or resource, and so on. And, of course, is answered uh, with his own terrible words that they had better die and decrease the surplus population. Um, but in the in the haunted man, uh, he uh, Redlaw um, has no feeling whatever uh, uh, about this um, uh, barbaric street child uh, that he encounters, um, because uh, along with the expunging of his memory of all wrong and sorrow, is ex expunged. Uh, as Dickens puts it, all good imagination gone. He can no longer uh, imagine uh, what it is like uh, to, to be anybody else. Um, and this terrible gift uh, which has been given to him, and which I suppose sometimes Dickens himself must have longed for, that he shouldn't continue to be tormented by memories of the blacking factory, uh, by memories of his mother being keen for him to be sent back, uh, by... Um, bitter memories of the the uh, way in which he was treated by Mariah Beadnell, etc. Um, he might have wished uh, all that uh, he didn't have to uh, constantly remember, as he obviously did. Um, but in this book, The Haunted Man, which if you haven't read it, I mean, this is, you really should. It's, it's a marvellous piece of writing. Um, and coming, coming just between the Carol and David Copperfield is, is absolutely fascinating. It is, uh, it is also, it does have plenty of snow and winter setting and carols and so forth and ends with a, a, a great feast in the college hall where the professor teaches. Um, so it's, it's a very Christmassy book. Um, but, um, as I say, very interesting, coming just before David Copperfield. But it was the last Christmas book that, that Dickens wrote. Um, after that, uh, he uh, was engaged with David Copperfield, of course, um, and then um, he began a weekly magazine, Household Words, which he started in 1850, 
Um, and um, it was obviously a good idea to produce some kind of Christmas number. It was certainly expected of him, so that uh, for the whole run of this journal uh, until 1859, uh, and then for its successor, another weekly journal called All the Year Round, uh, which he was still editing at his death, uh, there was always uh, a special Christmas number um, which had all kinds of different stories in it, um, but which didn't, um, which didn't necessarily uh, relate to, to Christmas. I mean, Dickens uh, said to all the, the people that he invited to contribute to these numbers uh, that their stories need have no reference whatever uh, to, to Christmas, but he would like them uh, to strike what he called the chord of the season, that is something to do uh, with reconciliation, um, something to do with confronting and dealing with the past or past wrongs and sorrows and so on. Um, and, um, but they needn't be specifically about Christmas. I do want to mention uh, the first one, though, um, which was uh, in 1850, the first uh, Christmas... Well, it wasn't called a Christmas number at that point, um, of... of um, Household words. Um, because it's called a Christmas tree. And as you probably know, Christmas tree, uh, which certainly doesn't feature in the Christmas carol, um, but it was introduced into England in 1841 by Prince Albert. Um, and Dickens refers to it as a pretty German toy uh, in, the, uh, in this wonderful essay uh, called A Christmas Tree. It's not really a Christmas story, uh, it's an essay. Um, and um, Dickens uh, looks uh, back into... He's, he's looking at the, this Christmas tree and all the children assembled around the Christmas tree. Um, and he... He looks into the topmost branches and there he sees his earliest Christmas memories um, of, of various toys and stories and so forth. And then uh, he sort of comes down through the branches to the present. Um, I'll just quote a little bit of it. It is one of the most wonderful things. And if you haven't read it, uh, do uh, find it. It's, it's called A Christmas Tree. Um, it says, good for Christmas time is the ruddy colour of the cloak in which the tree making a forest of itself for her to trip through with her basket, little red riding hood comes to me one Christmas Eve to give me information of the cruelty and treachery of that dissembling wolf who ate her grandmother without making any impression on his appetite and then ate her after making that ferocious joke about his teeth. She was my first love. I felt that if I could have married little red riding hood, I should have known perfect bliss, but it was not to be. And there was nothing for it but to look out the wolf in the Noah's Ark there and put him late in the procession on the table as a monster who was to be degraded. Oh, the wonderful Noah's Ark. It was found not seaworthy when put in a washing tub and the animals were crammed in at the roof and needed to have their legs well shaken down before they could be got in even then. But then, ten to one, they began to tumble out at the door which was but imperfectly fastened with a wire latch. But what was that against it? Consider the noble fly, a size or two smaller than the elephant. The ladybird, the butterfly, all triumphs of art. Consider the goose whose feet were so small and whose balance so indifferent that he usually tumbled forward and knocked down all the animal creation. 
And so he goes on, then later remembering uh, the, from these toys, he goes on to the wonderful Arabian Nights. Oh, now all common things become uncommon and enchanted to me. All lamps are wonderful. All rings are talismans. Common flower pots are full of treasure with little earth scattered on the top. Trees are for Alibaba to hide in. Beefsteaks are to throw down into the Valley of Diamonds that the precious stones may stick to them and be carried by the eagles to their nests. Tarts are made according to the recipe of the vizier's son of Busora who turned pastry cook after he was set down in his drawers at the gate of Damascus. And so on and so on. There's a great flow of... Um, detailed uh, reminiscence about the Arabian Nights, which, uh, of course, was one of Dickens's um, favourite reading as a child and a, 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 great, uh, a great passion and inspiration for him uh, throughout his, his literary life. Um, so a Christmas tree is, is a great celebration of all his, his Christmas memories, coming from the earliest memories of toys and so on, coming right down to the present. But after that, uh, they tended to be, um, well, they were stories uh, rather than an essay as this was. Um, the, um, what, what Dickens did was to get other people, notably Wilkie Collins, Mrs. Gaskell, fellow writers, to uh, contribute uh, to the number. And he, um, thinking of his beloved Arabian Nights, the, which would have an overarching story and then lots of stories inserted in it, uh, and he was always trying to find a, a suitable framework uh, or frame uh, for, for the Christmas stories. Um, and um, uh, and being on, uh, very much frustrated because people would send in things that didn't seem to fit in at all. Um, but um, nevertheless, he, he goes on until um, 1868, I think, when he's is the last of the Christmas numbers, just the year before, uh, two, uh, two years before he died, um, when he found that by this time uh, there was such a flood of Christmas literature, Christmas books and Christmas magazines and Christmas stories, uh, that um, which of course all had been stimulated originally by uh, the success of the Christmas Carol, um, that, that Dickens um, uh, felt that he, he was just being swamped by imitators and uh, almost plagiarists and so on, and so he wasn't any longer going to uh, produce a Christmas number. Um, but uh, all the stories uh, that he did include, he tried to ensure uh, struck that, that chord of the season, as he called it. Um, as regards his novels, I mean, after um, 1851, uh, he didn't write specifically about Christmas um, in any of the novels, apart from two examples. Um, and there are the interesting ones. I mean, they... The terribly uncomfortable Christmas uh, in Great Expectations, which is so excruciating for Pip. You remember, he's uh, he's rather tormented by um, his his uh, termagant sister and by Mr. Wopsle and the Hubbles. Uh, I think it's Mr. Wopsle who says um, something about um, what, why boys are so so awful. And uh, Mr. Hubble says they're naturally wicious, um, I think. And you remember poor Joe is always trying to give him some more gravy to console him um, at this very grim uh, Christmas feast. 
Um, and the great contrast between that, of course, uh, is, is uh, that uh, is, is the um, Dick, um, is, is Pip giving food to the convict uh, out on the marshes um, and um, treating him really, uh, though he's frightened of him, treating him like a, a human being, saying, "I hope you enjoy the food, sir," and so on. Which uh, Magwitch is so astonished by by being treated as a as a human being. But there's a, Dickens is making the contrast between this this ghastly Christmas dinner, uh, which is the uh, which is just an excuse for the display of of, of vanity and bullying and so on, um, and uh, and and the real um, giving of, of food um, and ceremony uh, with, um, uh, with Pip and the convict. <clears throat> um, and then uh, you, have the, uh, you have a Christmas scene in his last novel, um, Edwin Drood, uh, but here it's uh, um, Christmas Eve in Cloisterham um, is described in, in very unenthusiastic terms or rather, um, rather mock um, mocking terms. An unusual air of gallantry and dissipation is abroad, evinced in an immense bunch of mistletoe hanging in the greengrocer's shop doorway, and a poor little twelfth cake culminating in the figure of a harlequin. Such a very poor little twelfth cake that one would rather call it a twenty-fourth cake or a forty-eighth cake to be raffled for at the pastry cook's terms one shilling per member. Public amusements are not wanting. The waxworks, which made so deep an impression on the reflective mind of the Emperor of China, are to be seen by particular desire during Christmas week only on the premises of the bankrupt livery stablekeeper up the lane. And a new grand comic Christmas pantomime is to be produced at the theatre, the latter heralded by the portrait of Signor Jacksonini the clown, saying, how do you do tomorrow, quite as large as life, and almost as miserably. I mean, the description of is, is hardly um, hardly uh, Christmas Carol variety. Um, but Dickens himself um, continued uh, whatever he did about it in his novels. He continued to love Christmas um, and and Christmas time, and he he kept it up um, uh, as is. Um, plentifully described uh, in his uh, elder daughter Mamie's uh, little book um, in 1896, uh, which has a whole chapter uh, on Christmas, um, the Christmas revels at Gad's Hill. Um, and as she says, he loved to emphasise Christmas in every possible way. Uh, so although he had ceased writing about Christmas, except in these two rather uh, doleful examples uh, of the Christmas dinner in Great Expectations uh, and the rather miserable Christmas festivities in Cloisterham, uh, he no longer wrote about it in uh, his fiction. Um, but he continued to celebrate it uh, in his in his life in his family, um, and uh, as she said, uh, he loved uh, Christmas uh, for its uh, deep significance as well as for its joys, and this he demonstrates in every allusion in his writings to the great festival, a day which he considered should be uh, fragrant with the love and should. Uh, should be fragrant with the love we should bear to each other 
uh, and with the love and reverence of his saviour and master. Now that, of course, that reference to uh, the religious aspect of Christmas is what a lot of people uh, were um, keen to point out, that that Dickens um, doesn't really allude to this aspect of the festival uh, at all, to the religious significance of it. Um, that he's much, much more concerned uh, with social issues, um, with the poor and so on. Um, and perhaps Mamie, his daughter, when writing that, was conscious of such critics as, as Ruskin, John Ruskin, whose verdict was that for Dickens, Christmas was no more than mistletoe and pudding, neither resurrection from the dead, nor rising of new stars, nor teaching of wise men, nor shepherds. In fact, all these do figure uh, in the children's New Testament, uh, commonly called now the life of our Lord, uh, which Dickens uh, wrote for his children. But they also uh, are much more present in his writings uh, than than Ruskin uh, would allow. And I want to end uh, by quoting what I think is a very beautiful um, part that ends to, uh, I think it's the uh, second of the special Christmas numbers, um, which is called The Seven Poor Travellers. And um, Dickens um, meets, um, he he goes to Watts Charity in Rochester, uh, which has been set up to to give... um, uh, money and shelter to um, uh, a travel, um, poor travellers for, for one night um, and um, uh, he feasts them and so on and then he, he leaves and when he's leaving um, the next morning um, he says um, he writes this as he's going through the woods the softness of my tread upon the mossy ground and among the brown leaves enhanced the Christmas sacredness by which I felt surrounded As the whitened stems environed me, I thought how the founder of the time had never raised his benignant hand save to bless and heal, except in the case of one unconscious tree. By Cobham Hall, I came to the village and the churchyard where the dead had been quietly buried in the sure and certain hope which Christmas time inspires. What children could I see at play and not be loving of, recalling who had loved them? No garden that I passed was out of unison with the day, for I remembered that the tomb was in a garden, and that she, supposing him to be the gardener, had said, Sir, if thou thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will go and take him away. In time the distant river with the ships came full in view, and with it pictures of the poor fishermen mending their nets who arose and followed him of the teaching of the people from a ship pushed off a little way from the shore by reason of the multitude, of a majestic figure walking on the water in the loneliness of night. My very shadow on the ground was eloquent of Christmas, for did not the people lay their sick where the mere shadows of the men who had heard and seen him might fall as they passed along? And thus Christmas begirt me far and near until I'd come to Blackheath and walked down the long vista of gnarled old trees in Greenwich Park. Um, and that uh, is the kind of um, um, reference to the, the sacred nature of Christmas and so on um, that um, people, compl- people like Ruskin uh, complained was, was absent in Dickens. Um, but, um, well, I think that's really all I've got to say. Uh, <laughs> 
so I'll stop. <laughs> For more information, please go to www.gresham.ac.uk.